Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. If you have your Bible, we are in Luke chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 21 in a few moments. Luke 2, beginning in verse 21. Now, if I were to ask you if you are prepared to celebrate Christmas, most of you would immediately think of things that you still have to do, things that you must finish before Friday. Things like Christmas presents to buy or wrap or perhaps both. Things like... uh, parties to go to, though certainly not as numerous as in years past, or maybe it is groceries to purchase and then turn those into a meal. You know, as kids, it seemed like Christmas could never get here. It was the longest wait of the year, especially Christmas Eve. That was the longest night of the year. I mean, how many of us used to ask our parents how early we could get up on Christmas Day and start opening presents? Or some of us even tried to convince them that we ought to start on Christmas Eve so that they don't have to get up so early on Christmas Day. But as adults, Christmas usually comes before we are ready. Sometimes it is just a a flurry of activities that we really don't catch our breath from until Christmas Day is actually over. So in some sense, oftentimes we never feel prepared for Christmas But none of this, of course, is the kind of preparation I'm referring to because it's really not my concern whether or not you've got your presents wrapped or your meals prepared. I'm talking about whether or not we are prepared spiritually for Christmas. After all, this is a religious holiday. It is a spiritual time of the year. And we say that our spiritual lives are the most important element of our lives. The spiritual life of the Christian tops our list, and therefore it ought to be the spiritual preparations that we are concerned about. So why then does the spiritual side of Christmas get relegated to attending one or perhaps two services during the course of December, and then for the Christian, the other 90% of our holiday celebrations really, if we're honest, don't look much different than the rest of the world. This morning, I want to introduce you to a man who waited a long time for Christmas to arrive. But when it did come, he was more than prepared for Christmas. It is another part of the Christmas story that perhaps you don't know as well. I'm confident that most of us have heard about it, but it's not top of the list as far as what we normally talk about at Christmas. It is a man that outside of this one passage of Scripture, we know nothing else about. And yet, he takes his part in the Christmas story as one of the few, in fact, we could almost say the only one, who really grasped the meaning of Christmas. I mean, this man was waiting for Christmas, and when it arrived, he was prepared. And that is what I want our Christmas celebrations to be concerned with. I don't want us to get so busy about everything else that we leave little room for Christ. I want to make sure that our Christmas celebrations are centered on Christ. So that not only do we know the details of the Christmas story, 
But way more important than that, we grasp the significance of the fact that the Messiah has come. Look with me at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, as we think about being prepared for Christmas. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, that's obviously talking about Jesus, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Every, uh, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant, your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right, I want to start by introducing to you this man named Simeon. Again, you know the events that have led up to this point in our story. You know that the young couple, Mary and Joseph, are engaged to be married, and she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and yet there is a census that has been issued so that everybody has to go to their hometown. So they travel to Bethlehem, and when they get there, there is all kinds of other people in town as well, and therefore there is no room for them to find a place. And so they wind up in a stable or a barn or perhaps some sort of small cave. And it is there that Mary then gives birth to Jesus. As we've already sung, angels announce the birth to some nearby shepherds and they leave their sheep so that they might make a visit to the good shepherd. And when they return to their fields, they do so rejoicing and praising God. Now from this point, we normally jump forward to the wise men. Those wise men are often portrayed as also visiting Jesus in that same setting in the manger. But we mentioned a few weeks ago that their visit likely occurred sometime later, maybe a year, even upwards to two years after Jesus had been born. So the story we are looking at this morning takes place in between the shepherd's visit and the visit of the wise men. And therefore, it ought to take its place and be included in the Christmas story on a regular basis. So verse 21, when Jesus is eight days old, his parents take him to be circumcised. And it is then that they officially name him, as the angel had said, named Jesus. 
Now, we talked about circumcision last week as a sign of the covenant between God and the Israelites, and we talked about it as a potential crisis of the gospel from Acts 15. Now, you know that parents want what is best for their children, especially when it is their first child. They want everything to go just right. They want, and as a result, they obsess over every detail of their baby's existence. So in our day, they pay way more for photographs than they ought to because they want to make sure they just have the right image in the right outfit that they can post in the right place and just sit back and wait for all of the likes and comments to come flowing in. But Christian parents understand at an early age that it is their responsibility primarily to raise their children in a way that pleases the Lord so that the spiritual element of that child's life, the spiritual training, is the most important. And that's what we see Joseph and Mary doing. They go to the temple, as was required by the law, to circumcise their child. In fact, there's some five times in this story in, in Luke's gospel where it says they did something according to the law of Moses. So they were obeying God, and they understood that God had given them this baby. But our man Simeon has not yet entered the picture. He is not mentioned in the eighth-day ceremony of circumcision. He enters a few weeks later. It is the eighth day in verse 21. But after verse 21, everything else I read comes some weeks later because it is on the 40th day where they go back to Jerusalem and back to the temple in order to dedicate their child. This is a second ceremony, a second ceremony that new parents were required to do according to the law. Women who gave birth to a son were ceremonially unclean for 40 days. It was actually twice that long when it was a daughter. So there's been gender differences all of those years. I don't know why it was twice as long for a daughter, but this is the 40th day. The 40th day, they bring Jesus to the temple, and as part of that ceremony, they are going to offer a lamb as a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering. But if the couple could not afford a lamb, then they could, in its place, offer two pigeons or two turtle doves instead. And the fact that that is what this young couple does, that is they don't offer a lamb, tells us that they were not wealthy enough to afford a lamb, which is another indication of the humility into which Jesus was born. Now you also notice in verse 23, which is a quote from Exodus chapter 13, that this ceremony also included the parents presenting the baby, the firstborn male, dedicating that male to the Lord. Now, they would, of course, continue to raise the child. They're not leaving it there. But they were acknowledging that their firstborn son is a gift from God and therefore belonged to the Lord. This is essentially what we do still to this day when it comes to baby dedications. The difference being that we encourage Christian parents to dedicate all of their children, not just the firstborn son, but all of their children to the Lord. And so we bring them up here, and they make some commitments. They acknowledge that their baby is a gift from God, and that they are returning that baby symbolically to the Lord so that the Lord can do whatever he wants to with it. And so we understand that children are a gift from the Lord, and we as parents are stewards. God has given the, these children to us for a period of time for us to raise in a way that pleases him. 
So all of this is the setting and the context in which we meet this man, Simeon. And as I said earlier, outside of this text of Scripture, we know nothing else about him. We generally assume that he is a priest, but we are actually never told that. We just assume it because he is in the temple. So from what Luke does tell us, I want to say three things about this man, Simeon. Number one, Simeon was what we would call a saved man. Verse 25, it says, he was righteous and devout. But that's actually not the phrase I want to focus on, because while it does show us something about his character, you can be righteous and devout in some sense without actually being saved. That doesn't definitively tell us that this man was saved. Instead, it is the next phrase that I want to call your attention to. Not only was he righteous and devout, but he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. Now, that is a strange phrase for us, but it is a messianic title. It means that Simeon was waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise of a coming Messiah. He was waiting in faith for what God had promised which when you think about it is in essence what the Christian life is, waiting in faith for what God has promised. And therefore, when God's fulfillment came in the form of the Messiah, Simeon was ready and he was waiting. So much so that he had been given a promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Now, it is it is actually an obvious statement but it is a statement that millions will ignore this week. And that statement is this. You cannot truly celebrate Christmas unless you've been saved by the Christ of Christmas. The main reason Simeon was ready for Christmas is because he's what, what we're calling in our terminology a saved man. Now, I said truly celebrate because the fact of the matter is anybody can celebrate. And there will be millions celebrating this week who are not truly celebrating Christmas. And the reason is because they've not been saved, nor do they understand the significance of the coming of the Messiah. Now, you've heard, as I have for many years, that one of the most popular criticisms of the church and of Christians within the church are that they are a bunch of, and you can say the next word, they're a bunch of hypocrites. We've been accused of that for a long time. Well, I want to say this morning that when it comes to Christmas, the shoe is on the other foot. It is the world that is being hypocritical because all year long they deny Jesus, whether they do so in word or in deed or in both. All year long they live and act as if Jesus does not exist. In fact, many of them go well beyond that. They are actively opposed to Christ. That is, they do not want Christ in the public sphere of our country. They do not want Christ in our schools. They do not want to hear the name in politics. They want it left out of everything. Keep it in the church. Don't get it outside of those walls. And yet, when the calendar turns to December, suddenly they want to join us in celebrating Christmas, the birth of a baby, the same baby that they've spent the rest of the year ignoring or denying. I'm simply trying to say that if you don't believe in Jesus, then why celebrate his birth? But again, I'm not preaching to those who are not listening. Well, I, I should say I'm not preaching to those who are not here because there might be some who are here who are not listening. 
But I'm not preaching to those who are not with us this morning or listening online. I'm preaching to us. And so for us, I would say, let us not rant and rave about how the world denies Christ if, practically speaking, our celebration of Christmas does essentially the same thing. Let's make sure our celebration centers around the Savior who has saved us from our sin. Simeon was prepared for Christmas because, number one, he was a saved man. But he was also ready for Christmas because he was a spirit-filled man. Look at verse 25. It says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. Both of which tell us this man was not a believer in name only. His was not a superficial following. He was totally and completely surrendered to God, which is why he was ready for Christmas. Now, we did a series earlier this year on the Holy Spirit, spent, I think, about four weeks on it. But because it is such a confusing idea, I want to mention it again. We believe that every believer receives the Holy Spirit the moment that they are saved. So every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. But what I said was that Simeon was not just indwelt by the Spirit. Now, I recognize this is pre-Pentecost. The Spirit has not been poured out on Simeon or anyone else at this point. But I'm using our terminology to try to help us understand. So Simeon is not just a man indwelt by the Spirit. Simeon is a Spirit-filled man. And what I mean by that is not just that he has the Spirit, but I'm saying he's walking in the Spirit. He is living in obedience. He is producing the fruit of the Spirit. Traits that we can see in this man and ought to be able to see in our own lives. Now the third thing I want to say about Simeon is that he is a sensitive man. No, I do not mean by that that he was overly emotional. I do not mean that were he living in our day, he would tear up at every Hallmark Christmas movie. And by the way, I did for the first time in our marriage, I watched two Hallmark Christmas movies with my wife, which means two things. Number one, men, one point. I got one point for those two movies. Number two, it means that I now know every plot line and ending of every Hallmark Christmas movie, so I don't have to watch anymore. So I'm not saying Simeon was emotional. I'm saying he was sensitive in the sense that he heard God speak and he listened and obeyed. You know the Old Testament story where Samuel, as a young boy, is hearing a voice and he keeps going back to Eli and he's saying, you called me. And Eli keeps saying, I didn't call you. And eventually Eli says, it's the Lord. Next time you hear the voice, say, here I am, Lord. Well, Simeon doesn't need that coaching. Now, Samuel was young. Simeon is not. So Simeon doesn't need that coaching. In fact, the name Simeon means listening or hearing. And so Simeon hears the voice of God and he is sensitive to that voice, and he obeys accordingly, which, again, sort of sounds like the epitome of what it means to be a true believer's. So for these reasons, and no doubt others, this man that we know so little about was prepared for Christmas. But we didn't come here to talk about a biography of Simeon. And Simeon would be the first to say, if you're focusing on me, you're focusing on the wrong thing. So from the man Simeon, we move to the Messiah, Jesus. Simeon takes this baby in his arms, which is another reason why we believe he was a priest, though again, Luke doesn't specifically say that. 
And with Jesus in his arms, he sings a a song. He praises God. This is actually now the the fourth song that Luke records for us. The fourth of five, if you want to divide Simeon's into two. The first, of course, is Mary's. And then there is Zachariah's song. And then there is the song of the heavenly host of angels. And now we have this song of Simeon. There is a Latin name for it, which I cannot pronounce. But if you have footnotes in your Bible, you can look down there and and it will likely tell you what that title is. It comes from the first two words in the song from the Latin, and it means now you are dismissing, reminding us that what we saw in the crisis of death with Jesus, that through this death and resurrection, Jesus brings deliverance. That is what salvation is all about, and that is what Jesus has come to provide. It is deliverance from the penalty and power of sin because Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf and it is then believing in the promise that one day we will not just be delivered from the penalty and the power of sin but we will be delivered from the very presence of sin because we will dwell with God forever I remind you of the angelic announcement given to Joseph you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins likewise the angelic announcement to the shepherds For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The purpose of Jesus' coming was understood by Simeon, even as so many others around Jesus took years to figure it out. Thus he too was prepared for Christmas. But the question is, are we? Do you understand the purpose of of Jesus is coming not just the details of the manger scene but do you understand the reason why Jesus came that he might save you and me from our sins as a result Simeon declares that he can now die in peace since the promise of the coming of the Messiah he has seen with his own eyes now I know no one wants me to bring up death in a Christian in a Christmas message but I didn't bring it up Simeon did But the fact is, we must all face it. We have now surpassed 300,000 COVID. See, I use that word again. I told you last week it was a requirement. We have now passed 300,000 COVID deaths in America. And so we have to face death. But we must face it with our faith in Christ. So that we are not only prepared to celebrate Christmas, but we are also prepared to face death. I'm not saying we look forward to it but I'm saying we're ready for it. And that's what Simeon says. Now I can depart in peace because he has seen the Lord's anointed. But not only does Jesus bring deliverance, secondly, Jesus brings light. He came into a dark world. And in many respects, it is still dark because they have rejected the one who brought light. One of John's I am statements, there's eight of them, has Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Light and darkness are a regular motif in the New Testament, referring to good and evil. Light has come, but many choose to remain in darkness because their deeds and their hearts are evil. But for those who embrace salvation through Christ, we are taken out of the domain, out of the realm of darkness, and we are adopted into God's kingdom of light. And notice Simeon. 
This is just 40 days into the life of Jesus. Simeon says this is available for all, Jew and Gentile alike. Again, last week we looked at Acts 15, that first council in Christian history where they were debating, do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be saved? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to keep the law of Moses? But right here on the 40th day of Jesus' life, Simeon pronounces global evangelism. That is, here is the Messiah, and he is for all. The same thing Jesus would command with his very last words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and promising his presence as we do that. So how do we do that? Well, we do it by praying. We do it by sending missionaries out. We do it by going, and we do it by giving. That is how we do it through our cooperative program, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that you've been hearing so much about. But Simeon's song is not all good news. There is a, another element to it, the last part that he directs to Mary, acknowledging that many will reject the Messiah and his salvation and light. So not only does Jesus bring deliverance and Jesus brings light, but thirdly, Jesus brings division. We don't think about that at Christmas. We sing carols of joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We certainly don't associate Christmas with division or even the harsher word that I thought about using, and that is judgment. But for those who reject Jesus, that is what Christmas will ultimately bring. Simeon's prophecy was that many Jews would reject Jesus as the Messiah. And we certainly know that that is equally true of many Gentiles. And because they reject him, the only Messiah and Savior, there is no other option, so the result is going to be division and judgment. Jesus himself said that during his ministry, that he knew that he, he himself would divide families, some for him, some against him. In fact, you might experience that later this week. When you gather with your family, you might have some family members that are fully committed to following Christ. And you might have other family members that want nothing to do with him or even deny that he even exists. Something that Simeon tells us right here at the very beginning is going to happen. And Mary will experience that firsthand in ways that none of us will ever deal with. She didn't know it yet, but of course, she is still in the euphoria of a first child. But there will come a day when she will witness his rejection, his persecution, and ultimately his crucifixion. This baby that Simeon is holding in his hands will be the same one who is on a cross in front of Mary's eyes. I wonder if in that moment of crucifixion, she thought back to Simeon's prophecy. I wonder if she went back to this moment when she didn't understand what Simeon was saying and she thought to herself, this is what he was talking about. I wonder if during the days that she was raising Jesus, that these words of Simeon kept coming back to her mind, wondering, is it going to be true? Is he going to be rejected? Am I going to witness that? No parent wants to see that. But Mary, of course, does. But rather than speculate about what Mary thought or felt, I want to conclude by talking about you and your preparation for Christmas. So the message has been revealed. I mean, you likely have heard most of this before. This is probably not the first time that you have heard the message of the gospel. But the question is, have you responded to it? 
Have you repented of your sins and responded by faith? Because unless you've done that, you are clearly not ready to celebrate Christmas. Now, in just a few moments, we are going to participate in the Lord's Supper. We are going to do it a different way than we've ever done in the past, other than the last time we did it. And that is we've got these prepackaged wafers and juice. And so I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then Aaron's going to come sing. And as he's singing, I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts for this time. Now, if you fail to pick one of these up on your way in, while Aaron's singing, I simply want to ask you to hold your hand up, and we'll have some guys come bring you one. So I'm going to pray, then Aaron's going to sing, and then we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in preparation for Christmas. Father, we do come to you this morning grateful for what you've provided for us in Christ. And I pray this Christmas season that you would remind us not just about the facts of the birth of Jesus, but about the purpose of his coming, that he might save his people from their sin. For those here this morning or listening online, I pray that that means we have, we have been saved and we are ready for Christmas. But for those who have not, we urge we ask that they would respond, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin and lead them to respond to you in faith is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. 